The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I'm going to continue the reading from Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 21. So verse 20 said, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And then verse 21 testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment, And afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. My aim this morning is to call each of you to give your life to finishing the life course that the Lord Jesus has given you. I'm drawing that from Paul's statement in verse 24. You see it there? I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So now, as Lord, Jesus has given Paul a course for his life. He, he also calls it a race in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24, Philippians 2.16, and 2 Timothy 4.7. So the Lord Jesus, as Lord, has given Paul a course to run, a race to run. And and that reality that Paul is so aware of, I believe God has given to each and every one of us. It's true if you're a believer, no matter your age, whether you're a, a young, a boy or a girl, man or a woman, students, parents, working adults, even if you're retired, There are works prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Ephesians 2.10 tells us. So your your life is like this course. I I like the phrase life course. You have a life course. It's like a long-distance marathon run, or it's like a, sometimes it feels like an obstacle course, or sometimes it feels like a, a battle zone, or sometimes it feels like a twisting labyrinth, like a maze. 
that the Lord Jesus has given us to finish, to complete this life course. And for all of us, the, the life course is, is, is filled with deep joys and sorrows and beautiful seasons and very difficult rocky moments. And yet the, the aim of the life course remains that we would be to the praise of God's glorious grace, that we would declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, Whereas Paul says that we would testify to the gospel of grace. So the challenge at hand that Paul is underscoring, and it's a challenge that fits us as well, is will we faithfully complete the life course the Lord has given us? So toward that end, toward that question, let me, let me pray before we look into the text any further. Almighty God and Father in heaven, grant now by your spirit a hearing of your word that might result in at least two things. Grant new sense of calling to the life course that you have prepared for us to walk in. Like Paul in his early days, the early days of his apostolic ministry, may we gladly embrace, embrace your calling, your life calling by faith in the Lord Jesus with all the uncertainties and complexities that that course may entail. And also, I, I pray, secondly, that you would grant a renewed sense of calling to the life course that Christ has already called us to. Like Paul in our text, may we embrace it by faith. Even as Paul foresees much suffering on the road ahead, he chooses faithfulness to the Lord's course, to his calling as better than the value of preserving his own life and comfort and safety. So I ask for these two things, new callings and a renewed embrace of old callings that you've given us and a thousand other things that you might do to bless your people this morning. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's quite amazing how the Apostle Paul gets around the ancient world. Uh, Acts 19 had Paul in Ephesus, and remember the riot broke out there at the end of, of chapter 19, stirred up because of the threat to the temple of Artemis that the gospel brought. And then Acts 20 tells us that Paul traveled to Macedonia and to Greece, and what he was doing is going back to in, encourage and strengthen the churches. I, I love that picture of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then... In, in uh, chapter 20, it tells us he stopped in, in Troas, where we're told that Paul spoke so long into the evening. Uh, I, I'm smiling because I've never spoke this long. Um, that verses, verse 9, chapter 20, that 
a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul was talking still longer. (laughs) And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. And then the text goes on to tell us that Paul took him in his arms and, and God restored this young man to life. Soon Paul boarded ship And Luke, the author of Acts, was apparently on that ship because, remember we talked about this before in Acts, there are these passages where Luke, the author of Acts, starts using we. We did this. We did. So you you get the sense that, oh, when Paul boarded the ship, he joined Luke. Now the we passages begin at uh, chapter 20, verse 5. And Luke tells us that that Paul was, was... It was torn in the sense that he wanted to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost, so he wanted to speed his way there in the ship, and yet at the same time, he knew he was going to sail past Ephesus, a place where he spent, he says, three years teaching. He loved that church of Ephesus. We know a lot about the church of Ephesus in the sense that we have the letter, we have this, we have the letter to the Ephesians, we have these accounts in Acts, we have the letter to the churches in Revelation that includes Ephesus. So Paul had a, had a heart for the church of Ephesus, and so rather than go there, I think because it would take too much time, I think, I'm not sure, he decides to go in on shore 37 miles south of Ephesus and call for the elders to meet him there. You know, for whatever reason, he thought, it's going to be too complicated to, to go in at Ephesus, so I'm going to go 37 miles past, bring the boat ashore, bring the ship ashore there, call for the Ephesian elders to meet me there, and it sets the table for this beautiful, glorious interaction with the Apostle Paul and the Ephesian elders, which has so much to teach us that it honestly won't fit in this sermon. It probably wouldn't fit in a bunch of sermons, but the, Paul's farewell message can be broken down generally into two parts. The first is our text this morning, verses 17 through 27, in which Paul is reflective of his of his ministry in Ephesus. You know, he, he's on this life course. It was played out in Ephesus and he remembers. He reflects on his ministry there and what it looked like. And then, also in this same unit, verses 17 through 27, he communicates his resolve to finish the course. So in the first part, he has these reflections, looking back and looking forward on his life course, looking back on the ministry in Ephesus and looking forward to what might come as he goes to Jerusalem. And then the second part of the message to the Ephesian elders begins at verse 28, and it contains some of the most powerful, helpful, rich instructions for how elders ought to pastor the church, the blood-bought people of God. And uh, that's the second section, which we're not going to focus on this morning. But, but we're on the first section. Paul's reflections as he looks back and recollects his ministry 
in Ephesus and then he looks forward and resolves to finish the course that the Lord has put him on. So first, Paul's recollections on the course, his ministry that he lived among the people of Ephesus. You know, when he speaks of finishing his course, it's obvious he he began this a long time ago, likely when Jesus met him and called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he told him from the beginning that it would involve suffering. You know, so, so you think about this now. So Paul's meeting with the Ephesian elders. Why would he spend the time to reflect on his ministry among them I think it's because he wants the elders to know and understand what's entailed in the life of a servant of Christ, servant of the Lord, in the course of his ministry calling. He wants the elders to see how he has lived, that they might emulate him. And not only that, he wants all Christians to, to see and follow him as he follows after Christ. So what I want you to see now is as he looks at his, as he looks back at his ministry among the church of Ephesus and he reminds the elders what it was like, he says it it entailed five aspects, five aspects. Obedience, humility, tears, trials, and teaching. This is what the course looked like in the past at Ephesus. Verse 18, obedience. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Why, why do I get obedience out of this? The, the way a servant serves a master is obeying the master and doing what the Lord says to do. I mean, Paul's whole mindset is that of a servant. Christ is Lord. Paul says, I am servant. Over and over again. Uh, he begins Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Galatians, look, if I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's burned into his self-understanding that he is a servant of Christ. Christ is Lord. Christ is Master. He is servant. His is to trust the Lord and obey. It's not just Paul who's called servant. You know this in the the Bible. Epaphras Servant of Christ Jesus, Colossians 4.12. James begins his letter that way. Peter begins the second letter, Second uh, Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude begins his letter that way. Servant of Christ. Paul's whole mindset is, I am a servant, Jesus is Lord. I obey the Lord in faith and confidence. I have a hunch that's a good thing for us to remember. I mean, I, I default to, I'm a child of God. 
I, I default to a dearly loved saint. I default to all kinds of graces that God has given me and who I am. But we would do well to remember that Jesus is Lord and we are his servants. And what the course looks like for all of us is to trust him and to obey him, to do what he says to do. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. I brought this to the BCS graduating students about a month ago. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. Glorify God in your body. So, obedience, servant of God, servant of the Lord. Don't think of this servant of the Lord so much as repaying the Lord Jesus for what he's done. That can't be done. Rather, Jesus came not to be served by us, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. And he, he, he showed this by his serving in his life and in his ministry. He showed this in washing the disciples' feet, giving them an example. And most clearly, he showed this by giving his life a ransom for many. And so he sends out Paul and us as his servants, relying on his serving us with his grace and his death and his mercy and his power and his promises in order that we would serve other people in the name of Jesus. So that's the first thing Paul reminds them of. Remember how I lived among you? Serving the Lord. Second aspect of his ministry in Ephesus. All humility, he calls it in verse 19. All humility. He's got all these trials and sufferings going on. I mean, he always looks like a loser. I mean, just talk, you know, think of him. He's all beat up, scars all over his back, bloody, limping. He always looks like a loser. He served with all humility. You know, I thought about it this way. You know, when I'm mistreated <laughs> or scoffed at or ridiculed, or if I believe I've been mistreated, what's my first response? <laughs> it's not humility. <laughs> it's... Uh, Pride, it's, uh, I'll show them all. Well, they actually, they owe me. Or it's self-pity. Look, I, I have it so hard, you should really be taking care of me. And, and Paul is serving with all humility, not with pride like I'm going to get my way. I'm going to show you, not with self-pity. You really need to do for me because I've done so much for you. But rather, he comes in with all humility. Not with an attitude that he should be served, but a humble attitude, going low 
serving others, loving others as Christ loved him. He had a sense. He says this in Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain except love for one another. So all you, he comes feeling like, I owe you love. Despite the mistreatment, despite the rejection, despite, you know, imagine how hard he so wanted to see his Jewish people come to receive Christ as Messiah. Rejected, 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 rejected. No self-pity, no pride, just love, love. Going low, humble love. Third aspect of his ministry in Ephesus that he wants to remind the elders of tears. Tears. Paul's life course through Ephesus involved tears. I mean, it's, you don't, you probably don't think of the author of Romans as a weeping apostle. He was. Tears. Acts 20, 31 says, For three years, for three years he taught with tears, alerting them to the imminent rise of the false teachers who would not spare the flock. Why would Paul shed so many tears in Ephesus or really over the course of his ministry. Why would he cry so much? Here's what I think. Tears will come when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you love God, you have tears of joy, and you have tears of sorrow for sins. You have tears of longing. You have tears of hope. And tears will come when you love people. Tears of joy. Tears of sorrow. Tears of loss and disappointment. Tears of warning and earnestness. I think Paul cried so much because he deeply loved God and he deeply loved people and he loved people so much that he wanted them to deeply love God. Fourth, trials, trials. Verse 19, trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews Oh, how we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. Paul goes in the synagogue and sooner or later gets thrown out on his ear and sometimes worse, not only a rejection of the gospel, but countless beatings come his way, flogged three times, stoning, mistreatment, poisonous slander, arrest, imprisonment, trials. (laughs) Why, Paul, didn't you quit? Just quit. 
Well, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus had given him a life course. And he would not abort it even when it became unbearable. Because it wasn't unbearable. You know why I say that? Sufficient grace. You know, I thought about This comes up when trying to counsel uh, pastors or church planters. Like, how do you know when it's time to leave and when it's time to stay and when you're forsaking your life course if you leave or with you stay or whether you stay? How do you... I mean, let me just say right here, I think I'll say a little more about this, that Paul left town. He did. Sometimes he went right back in after being beaten, but sometimes he left town. And his life course continued. He didn't quit. So I I don't want us to think real small thoughts on what it means to stick to your life course in the decisions that come up in the day-to-day like Paul. He stuck with his course despite the trials. And uh, that's, what he, that's what he's showing the Ephesian elders. I went through many trials and stuck with it. The fifth thing is teaching. You know, Paul is a teaching machine. He is just a teaching machine. Verse 20, uh, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds in verse 26, I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So that's the fifth trait. Paul reminds them that his ministry, his course, his faithfulness to the Lord Jesus and his calling was to be about teaching. Teaching in personal conversation from house to house, teaching in public, teaching the whole counsel of God, teaching the, the gospel of Christ, teaching, teaching, teaching. That's how, that's how Paul wants them to remember his ministry among them by those five traits. And so now, at this point, in Paul's message to them, he pivots from looking back at his ministry with them to the future. And the future, for Paul, and actually for all of us, is largely unknown I mean, you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, later this week or this month or this year. You really don't know. Paul says of his future here, he says he doesn't know certain things, but he does know a couple. Verse 22, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except 
that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he doesn't know what's going to happen in general, but he does know that there's suffering ahead. So now, I pushed back right there, and I thought, I wonder for you and I, here in this room, I wonder if one of these two contexts, and maybe in some sense both of these contexts relate to you. Um, See if one of these fits you. Uh, You're at the place where a life course is about to begin or has the potential to begin. You know, this is like, this is like Paul uh, at, the, at the beginning of his conversion where it's all out in front of him. And Jesus comes and converts him and, and opens his eyes to see him as glorious and commissions and gives him, gives him this task of apostle to the Gentiles. And, and uh, maybe that's where you are. You're... You're at the, at the front end of a life course that Jesus is calling you to. And maybe you're leaning toward it, and maybe you're leaning back from it. And maybe it's the uncertainties that give you pause. Or maybe it's the certainty of That'll be hard. That gives you pause. I'll give you some examples. Ordinary examples to the more extraordinary. Maybe you're pursuing marriage. Lord, is this my life course to join together with this man, with this woman? I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. Starting a family, initiating an adoption, bringing a refugee family into your home might be God's calling, Christ's calling to embark on a particular ministry or even a life ministry or go to one of the hard places of the world full of uncertainty, and yet you kind of know it's going to be hard. In this text, Paul resolved that it, his life would have no value apart from faithfulness to the life course the Lord Jesus was giving him. So what do you do Ask Jesus to lead you by the light of his word. Ask the Spirit for his confirmation. Just like Paul had some sense of the Spirit's leading. Most of the time, it's helpful to ask a cross-section of brothers and sisters, mature, godly friends, not just people who think like you think. Ask God for providential guidance and, and, and choose not based on how easy it will be, but choose by faith in Christ's all-sufficient grace and for the glory of his 
name. And obey God's calling. Obey Christ's calling into that life-orienting course. There's another approach that came to my mind. It could be that you're already on a life course. I mean, in some sense, but true of all of us, I guess. You, you, you're not at this pivotal point that what I'm getting at that where, where the whole future seems to be set by this decision to go to the mission field or go this way or get married. But rather, you're already in those paths. And, and this would be, you have a life course to finish. A life course that Jesus has already given you like Paul here in this text that the task is to finish it not merely to start it. So we're going along our life course and and trials and difficulties come assigned by God's providence and Wisdom and sovereignty and love. And completing the race seems really difficult. And maybe you look at the next season of your marriage or the next season of parenting and it looks hard. She just quit. Or maybe it's caring for aging parents and the future looks really demanding. It's going to call a lot from you. Maybe it's walking in love toward broken relationships with other people and the door closes on your face again and again and again and again. Should I just give up on that? Or maybe it's sickness appears in your body or in that of a loved one or injury has interrupted your life or the life of someone you love and it not only changes the course that you thought you were on the big life course is Christ you thought it was going to go this way it's going this way but you really don't know how it's going to go in the future. You just don't know. But it looks hard. Or maybe, you know, I, I, I have a, a, a story from the past that I, I just want to insert here. Um, when, you're, when your spouse comes down with a terrible illness and they're dying in the hospital, Do you say to yourself, it's just too hard to go there. I just don't want to go there anymore. And just walk away. Is that what you do? Or do you say, Lord Jesus, you've appointed me to this life course. And you put this in my court, in my path. And I will embrace it by your all-sufficient grace with all its uncertainties and all of its sufferings. And I will move in in love to be there all the way 
to the end in the hope of glory. Here's a situation from one of our global partners. One of our global partners recently spoke at a church planting class that I taught a couple weeks ago. And he told of his own arrest and imprisonment in one of the one of the hard places, one of the countries hostile to Christianity, one of the places that we don't name publicly. So he was arrested and he was in prison for several weeks and then added to that, he told of how his, his wife, after struggling to, uh, to keep a baby in the womb, Late in her pregnancy, she was assaulted, a robbery, and the baby died. After that, what do they do? What's the life course? Should they continue ministering in that country, or should they leave. It's so complex. Changing course, even if you can at those times, could be done in obedience to Christ. Or changing course at those times could be disobedience to Christ and forsaking your God-given life course. So as a Sending church. We want to lean in and pray and seek God's wisdom and counsel and discernment. And you know what? I sent an email to this global partner who was here two weeks ago asking him if I could say what I just said. And from that country, he replied, Go ahead and said, he's there right now, finishing his course, his life course. One thing I do know, as Christians, we do not let hardship dictate our course. One of the things that text makes crystal clear is just because the path is easier, more comfortable, less risky, it does not mean it is the Lord's calling, right? We don't let hardship dictate our course. But rather, we let Jesus dictate our course by the light of his word and Spirit, counsel of brothers and sisters, providence. Verse 24, Paul says again, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So what matters is finishing the course. And you might need discernment from the Lord 
and the Word and the Spirit and counsel in the particular decisions involved there. But I believe God will give you a clear conviction and faith to move on the course of Christ's calling. This account closes in such a tender way. Verse 25. And now behold, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And then after the instructions to the elders regarding shepherding, Luke tells us this in verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father in heaven, thanks for your word to us. I pray, I pray for faith for us as a people. Faith. Faith to obey our Lord Jesus Christ as his servants in fulfilling the life course that you've given us. So we, we trust you, we love you, we lean on you, and we pray that in the life course, with all confidence, we know we will come to know you more and more and more as you sustain us, revealing yourself to us, being our all in all, more and more and more in the journey that you've given each one of us. So bless this word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.